breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Always an honor to be with all of you and This is the place where I try to bridge those fault lines between the Islamists, the theocrats, and America, the land of freedom, liberty, our constitution that stands as that firewall between political Islam and the way of life as we know it. If you're looking for a voice of reason, somebody who's not unwilling, who is willing to call balls and strikes, to call home runs, base hits, and to... Let you all know when we should have been up at bat and maybe have walked off the field. Whether it's on domestic issues, national security, homeland security, interfaith politics, media, academia, or global foreign policy. This is the place where I find a couple issues every week and you and I can sort of walk through them. And this is no different. Today I want to talk to you about two things. First of all, the Supreme Court refused to hear a case that I think will have huge implications and has had many implications already with a number of cases out there that have not been heard. They refused to hear a case about religious freedom in the Establishment Clause that the Thomas More Law Center had brought forth. I want to talk to you about that. I think it has a lot of teaching moments in it that will go a long way to understand where we should be on this issue. Second, I want to give you a little update not on the whole Turkish-Kurdish issue, but on Turkey. For all of you who are wringing your hands saying, Turkey is an ally, we need to work with them, as you give apologetics for why we just need to pull our troops out and you, you sort of make the old dance of trying to take what we ended up with last week and start from there and figure out why it's right, even though it may not have been and wasn't. I get it that we want to remove our troops, but... Let's pay attention to what Turkey's doing, and we'll do that in a sec. So first of all, the Supreme Court this week rejected a case of a Christian teen in a Maryland high school. Her name is Callie Wood. It made it to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. And remember, before you start jumping to conclusions, I tell you this story. If you haven't listened here before, I'm a devout Muslim. I love my faith. I feel that I've been able to, and my family's been able to practice our faith more freely here than in any Muslim-majority country. We're able to pick and choose the practices of Islam that we agree with, that we disagree with from the clerics. My father has a a translation of the Qur'an uh, that uh, is out there. Pick it up. Uh, It is by Muhammad K. Jasser. You'll find it from Z Liberty on Amazon. Translation of the Holy Qur'an. So, able to do that work in this country because of who we are. We've been been involved in probably 10, 12 mosques across the country. My family's helped build four of them. So I tell you that and preface these comments because I don't take these positions lightly. I believe that the cornerstone, as Jefferson talks about in his papers on religious freedom, The cornerstone of America, our first liberty, is religious freedom. It is what this country was founded on as a fought against theocracy, and I think is the nuclear solution. 
against theocracy, not just in our history, but in the solutions against the current greatest threat of the 21st century, which is political Islam and all of its party platforms from the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt to its metastases across the world to other Islamist regimes and movements like the Khomeinists of Iran, the Jamaat Islami of the Diobandi Pakistanis, and on. So, what happened in Maryland? Kaylee Wood's case made it to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, which ruled that an assignment that she was given by her school to write the Shahada. The Shahada. What's the Shahada? She was given an assignment to write the Shahada down and learn it. The Shahada is the Declaration of Faith. It is actually, if you talk to a Muslim about their faith, or anyone, especially those who've converted... There's no church for acceptance into Islam. There's no communication or excommunication, though the Islamists like to apostatize us all the time. But really, to become a Muslim, all you do is declare the Shahada. The Shahada is a declaration, a bearing witness of faith, and thus one of the most commonly cited prayers in Islam. So in order to learn about Islam, I guess the instructions in this class were asking Kaylee to write this Islamic conversion prayer, the Shahada. And the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals said that her writing that did not violate the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. And the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear the case, and thus affirming the appellate court decision. Thomas More Law Center asked and has been litigating this case. So the question is, should the Supreme Court, as Lauren Green asked on Fox News, should the Supreme Court have reviewed the case and was the assignment a direct denial of her Christian faith? You know, listen, I remember growing up in a small town in Wisconsin. And, you know, to me, a country in which the majority feels free, feels... Uh, uh, liberated to practice their faith conservatively, liberally, however they feel, is a country that I would much rather grow up in than those maybe comparatively like in Europe in which religion is much more pushed under the surface, hyper-secularized, like in France's laicite policies. So my parents gravitated to America because as I grew up with Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pro- Protestant, Baptist friends, Jewish friends that were religious and orthodox in their practice, it made me feel that my practice would also be defended since religion was respected, since belief, practice, and worship was respected. While in a hyper-secular state, and again, this isn't about the separation of church and state. This isn't about the Establishment Clause not existing. In fact, its existence is what protects and liberates the ability to practice your faith as you see fit versus that one faith that's established like in Russia as ordained by the government and the Orthodox Church. So I think back in Wisconsin where I was able to participate in Christmas carols and concerts and the holiday season and wish my 
Christian friends a Merry Christmas and bless them and wish them the blessings of their faith and of God. The same things with my Jewish friends on Hanukkah and Yom Kippur and their high holy days. But I also remember that as I sang in the choir Christmas carols, I did not have to articulate every verse. So most of the verses didn't offend me. But sometimes there were passages in those Christmas carols that talked about Jesus, Son of God, that mentioned the Trinity and other things that I might have had difficulty with, so I did not say them. I wasn't forced to write them down. I wasn't forced to sing them. No one forced me to express them. Was that intolerant of me? No. I participated. I didn't ask them all to change the song as many Islamists would probably do and have been trying to do. I wouldn't ask them to do that, but I also didn't, they didn't mandate that I participate in every articulation and singing. I didn't walk away from the choir. I just didn't say the words that disagreed with me. And that's a small example, but in this in this case, in Maryland High School, Kaylee refused to take part in this assignment in which she was asked to say, there is no God but Allah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. This is a saying that Muslims say not only to reaffirm their faith, but a convert would say to become a Muslim. What does that have to? Why would you have to write that down to learn about Islam? I've taken many courses on Islam, given many of them, and I don't remember ever being told to say that. The teacher may talk about it. But it being an affirmation of faith that you then make the students memorize or write is absurd. And she did not write it because she believed it directly contradicted her Christian faith. The high court denied their petition, denied the petition filed on her behalf of the 11th grader. And many have said that it basically caved into indoctrination. Now, is it indoctrination? I think you could definitely say that that's how it can be interpreted, can't you? That they want to indoctrinate into this minority faith that currently is being protected with kid gloves, and yet the majority faith or other faiths that seem to get less deference, be it Judaism or Christianity, are not given the same respect or deference. (laughs) Richard Thompson, President and Chief Counsel of the Thomas More Law Center, said, The schools are promoting Islam over Christianity or any other religion. You have a double standard, which we think is a violation of the Establishment Clause. So, what does the Establishment Clause mean? It means that the government won't get into the business of endorsing, protecting a faith, a form of a faith. Now, I don't know why the appellate court dismissed this. I have to read their judgment. But it must be that they felt that obviously... 
There's no way this minority faith of Muslims was being established by this government, a democratic Christian majority government. (laughs) And listen, that's absurd. Why is it absurd? Because the Establishment Clause is not about overwhelming assessment. It's about the beginning. It's like challenging free speech. If you can have art exhibits that ridicule faith, that put a cross in urine, that allow things like that to happen is not considered blasphemy, then you must also prevent the positive infliction of a certain faith's tradition upon other people. I guarantee you that the Council on American Islamist Radicalization, or I'm sorry, the Council on American Islamic Relations, might as well be Islamist Radicalization, right? I always like to make that switch. Council on American Islamic Relations would be up in arms if they had been in this course as they teach Islam, also demonstrating that militants are often coming from a conveyor belt of supremacist Sharia interpretations from Wahhabism or from Salafi Jihadism or any of the fundamentalist interpretations that they don't always just sort of spontaneously combust into militants, that there is a process. If they had been teaching that to the 11th grader, all hell would have broken loose. Pardon my pun. But the converse is okay. And if it's challenged by Christians... then they become dismissed and don't really have a way to interpret the Constitution that protects them from the oppression by a minority that is barely 1% of the population. And it's not just about being Muslim, by the way. This is about the Islamists. Most Muslims I know don't want their Christian friends memorizing the Shahada, the Declaration or Witness of Faith. Most Muslims I know would have nothing to do with that. But the problem is is that the Muslims creating this curriculum, the Muslims defending our communities and endorsing and thanking the school for teaching about Islam and having these PowerPoints. Do you know that this child, 11th grade, not a child, this 11th grade high schooler got an F in the class because she wouldn't watch a pro-Islam PowerPoint that denigrated her religion and said that Christians are not as faithful as Muslims. That's what it said. Take a look at the reports on it and what she was showed. The And to me as a Muslim, as I remember I, as I started this segment, I was telling you that, listen, I love my faith. My parents, my family escaped regimes in the Middle East, some hyper-secular that were snuffing out religious practice everywhere of all kinds, unless you followed the Ba'athist party of Syria. And then the other Islamists, like the Khomeinists that Syria has basically become now a client state of, or the Muslim Brotherhood, the Ikhwan in Egypt, the Wahhabists of Saudi Arabia, fundamentalists, monolithic interpretations of Islam. So, this is important to me. 
And I think these tests, if you want to see the establishment of the Muslim community, the leadership that currently controls the narrative of who we are, bring more moderate voices. Because right now, the Obama administration, I'll remind you, and I talk about this in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, the Obama administration punished an entire school district in Chicago and fined them 100000 or something dollars because they didn't let a teacher who was 28 years old go to do her hajj for three weeks at the time in December 2008. And the Obama administration brought this complaint penalty and then need for education to the district, sensitivity education, because they didn't. And why? This wasn't some conservative conspiracy. She wasn't allowed to go to Hajj for three weeks because it was in December of that year. It was in December. And the union said you could not take more than two weeks. And during finals, there were rules about vacation and time off. So this was actually union rules that the Obama administration repudiated. Hardly a bastion of conservative rules. And my point is that if you look at moderate Islamic interpretations, most of us don't do our hajj till we're later in life, 50s, 60s, some obviously 40s, some 30s. But it's usually once you have all your debts paid and it's one one-time pilgrimage. It's actually ten days. There was no reason for her to find most most Muslims go for two weeks. I don't know about three weeks, uh, but uh, the bottom line is is that this was not a necessity for her to go that year. She could have applied for it much later, much more ahead of time, and then there was no need. And I don't think this is the problem with the slippery slope of religious freedom. When it's invoked, you should invoke it sparingly because who's to say what religion is a religion that is recognized for, it's not the government's role to recognize a religion. So if people start asking for two months off because they need time or three months off or certain dietary provisions or what is a, there's a whole body of law about religious accommodation. And it's very complicated because it has to be fair and balanced. It has to be reasonable. And I fear that we're sliding towards if you accommodate certain groups much more than others, you start actually fueling the concept, uh, the concept in society that there uh, a, a, a dislike or a division or divisiveness between faith communities. And I fear that time. And if Muslims start getting special permissions for absences that Christians, Jews, and others may not get because of their faith, or maybe they don't invoke because they're actually more respectful of the societal culture of secularization, rather than... We have a saying in our Muslim Liberty Project, which is that we are Americans who happen to be Muslim, not Muslims who demand to be American. 
And this is what happens when a teacher demands that she be given three weeks off to go to Hajj and then loves it and applauds from the microphones and thanks everybody that uh, Obama administration came in to punish the entire school district because they didn't let her go to Hajj. That's absurd. And yet the converse of it is if a student doesn't want to recite the Fatiha or recite, I'm sorry, the Shahada, the witness of, of faith because she happens to know what that actually means, then somehow she gets an F. Or if there's slides about comparing faith rather than just going through the history of Islam. Imagine if they actually gave a history of Islam that talked about how it spread through jihadist wars and others. Is that blasphemy? I mean, Muslims need to recognize that we can give whatever apologetic you want, but there were offensive wars done in the name of Islam that spread Islam across the planet. And if that was said in a classroom, what would be the response of many of the mosque leadership to accept that as part of a critical debate and give both sides as you would balance or would you try to punish the school or would they try to punish the school for actually even mentioning that because it could create a, a, a blowback that somehow Muslims can't handle being criticized about their faith or somehow Americans can't handle understanding that Islam has a history of both peaceful and violent traditions. It is not a pacifist faith, and neither is the other Abrahamic faiths. But it has a history that needs to be discussed and needs to be honestly debated. The high court should have taken this case. It should have taught Americans about the limits of what our educational system under government direction. This is the problem with government education. Nobody's going to private Christian schools or Islamic schools and telling them what to teach. If they're private, if they're charter schools, that's different. But if they're private, they have a right to teach what they want. Now, that even is another fascinating conversation, isn't it? How about if an Islamic school or any school is teaching insurgency, is teaching Islamic supremacism that Muslims should be, if they're a majority, you should have an Islamic state with Sharia, Hadood punishments and forcible wearing of hijab, etc. What if they're teaching that? They have freedom to? Yeah. I say, you know what? Those schools, as long as they're not teaching violence, overt violence, we can't go down the slippery slope of beginning to have government say which ideologies it will tolerate. Just like you allow a communist party, a socialist party. But we also need to do a much better job in exposing the ideas that are being taught under our roof. Taught between our walls. Nobody's exposing. When I was after 9-11, there was an Islamic school here in town that had jihad. There was jihad being taught from the sermons. There was, uh, it wasn't violence, but it was an apologetic. And 
And that quickly changed. That imam was fired as it was exposed that he did that. That that sunlight led to some treatment, not complete or adequate, but at least it was a, a antiseptic of sunlight, and I think that's the way to treat that, but certainly not through apologetics. And to those who say that, well, we're just learning about Islam, the, the negative, why is, you know what, if you look at the, the feelings about Islam, they've gone from 33% negative in America on 9-12-01, let's say maybe October 01, to now over 60% negative. 60% negative. So despite all the apologetics, not even despite, I would say because of, due to all of the apologetics of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, the Muslim Public Affairs Council, and all the screaming of Islamophobia, that term which I hate, invoked because they don't want you to criticize Islam, they don't talk about bigotry, they talk about Islamophobia, as if somehow Islam was an anthropomorphized. But yet, that attitude has caused a fueling of religious divisiveness in the United States, a fueling in which as you make Americans fearful of speaking up, it actually fuels a real sense of fear. Because they don't know how to vent about ideas they're concerned about. If you can't vent and have town halls and have conversations and then they see millions of refugees coming to the West and others, you're going to create an animus, and that is what is happening. So when schools force Christian kids, Jewish kids, atheist kids, to recite things that would make them Muslim for those who knew it, obviously doesn't because they don't have it in their heart obviously but the, the academics of it is not done in any other faith imagine giving a muslim kid a cross and and teaching them how to do our father the prayer i would never do that but i know what it means you take a 10th grade kid at an islamic school he may not know because he's never been exposed to it, and he does it and goes home, and his parents say, what the heck, what are we doing? This is the United States of America. You shouldn't have to be forced to learn a practice of worship that really runs against our teachings in Islam. You can learn about Christianity, Christianity, Christian history, and otherwise. So these things can't be imbalanced, and that's what the court should have heard. It should have heard a case that would have educated America and set precedent about where the Establishment Clause has its limits and not just use the Department of Justice to punish teachers in Chicago or elsewhere for not letting one of their colleagues go to Hajj for three weeks, but rather have the legal system and the Supreme Court weigh in on whether it's the role of our government schools, our public schools, to indoctrinate. Now, indoctrinate, you might feel, is a tough term. But basically, by teaching that Muslims are more faithful than Christians, deeper practicing 
people of faith. And and again, that slide was coming from what it was probably talking about the hypersecularization of the West and how Muslims haven't been as secularized. Well, that secularization is what defeated theocracy. And as Bassam Tibi, a scholar on Islam and Islamism, says, the secularization of Christianity is what liberated Christian Christianity into the private domain away from the government control and establishment. It liberated the practice so that you could be more conservative, orthodox, liberal, fundamentalist, whatever it is you want to be. The government got out of your way. And now it's getting back in the way to teach one form of Islam that's being rammed down the throat by the Islamist establishment of our mosques, academia, and others. And that's why we need to take on and confront this Islamist establishment. Next, what's going on in Turkey? We've pulled back our, pulled out our troops. Turkey goes in and starts slaughtering Kurds. They kill a few hundred, if not a thousand displace hundreds of thousands and they're creating a so-called buffer zone well clearly their motivation you can get into the geopolitics of it i did that last podcast you can go back and listen to it but what has erdogan been saying this week just yesterday after friday's prayer in a mosque in istanbul erdogan gave a short impromptu speech with quran recitals and he explained his syria offensive by saying that allah promised a victory and commanded Muslims to be hard on the infidels. And then you'll see videos of him chanting, people chanting him as the leader of the ummah, the caliph, in mosques, in the mosque. He pre- so imagine, this is, the, this is the head of a NATO country. Imagine President Trump at a, at a cathedral or, or the president of France or chancellor of Germany at a church going to pray and then them chanting that they're the leader of the Christian world and that we had just come back from war and they were going to defeat onward Christian soldiers. This was from the Crusades and that era ended and then came enlightenment. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't believe that Muslims are in this era right now, that Erdogan is part of a crusade of Islamists that want to go to war whenever possible and spread their theocracy, their Islamic supremacism, then you are in denial. You're in flat denial. In a speech delivered then after that mosque, sermon that Erdogan, Recep Erdogan, the caliph of the Neo-Ottoman Empire, he said he invoked the Turk siege of Vienna and lamented the withdrawal back to Evros River line. And he said his ancestors never lost their dignity, nonetheless emphasized great sacrifice and that the effort lie behind the gains while there is great sorrow behind the losses. Look at the history of what happened as the Muslims got to the gates of Vienna. Erdogan is invoking this. This isn't this isn't some movement as the Islamists like to blame 
the so-called, whatever they might be, of movements of anti-Muslim bigots, whatever it might be, Islamophobes, whatever the name of today is that they want to blame it, this is coming from Erdogan himself invoking Vienna. And as Michael Rubin said, if Turkey is an ally of the United States, then the word ally really has no meaning. There have been continued attacks since the so-called ceasefire happened. And I have to leave you with this last comment that Erdogan then said, this is all within two days. Talking about Northeast Syria on TRT, which is the state-owned and operated media service. He said the most suitable, the reason that buffer zone makes sense and pushing the Kurds out of it because it is a desert. And deserts are the most suitable for this, are the most suitable areas for Arabs. They're not suitable for the lifestyle of Kurds. This is what he said on TRT. If that's not a racist, Sharia supremacist, I don't know what is. In the last quote at the mosque, he called those who he defeated infidels. Infidels. They were mostly Kurds. Kurds, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't know, are Sunni Muslims. But they just don't enforce a Sharia state. They believe in a national identity rooted in a Kurdish identity of what would have been Kurdistan. And by the way, they weren't calling for a nation state. They didn't launch any attacks into Turkey. We can talk about how radical or communist the PKK in Turkey is, but right now we're talking about Syria. Syria was mostly YPG, Peshmerga. We also had, there are many different diverse But I'm not even going to dignify a conversation about the Kurds and the radicalism and hate and bigotry of militant jihadists like Erdogan and his military by talking about whether the Kurds are socialists or, as he would call them, terrorists. That's what Esed called the entire Syrian population that revolted against him. Yes, There was a significant number of radicals that he radicalized just as he bust Al-Qaeda and other militants into Iraq to kill American soldiers when we were there in the Iran, I'm sorry, in the Iraq war, 2005, 6, 7, and on. His... Assad's approach was to call all those disagree with them terrorists, and that's Erdogan's approach. By the way, that's a lot of the monarchs' approach. Saudi Arabia has hundreds, if not thousands, of people in prison for either drug charges or terrorist charges. Some of them certainly are terrorists. But many, if not most, were people of prisoners of conscience. Some secularists, some atheists, some apostates, some blasphemers. Some communists.
So what are you going to do about this, ladies and gentlemen? Europe needs to be prodded, needs to wake up that its fellow NATO ally who threatened to release 3 million refugees into them if they didn't acquiesce is not an ally. And then you get the semantics of people saying, oh, you can't kick NATO. Nobody can be kicked out of NATO. They don't have it in their charter. Might be true. So unconstituted and reconstituted. Have however many countries that are in it, 30, I don't know how many, are in it by the exact number. Gather and have a, a, a vote vote to end it. And then five minutes later, sign a new vote to restart it. And by the way, say, oh, I for, we forgot to invite Turkey. And then get our nukes out of Turkey. The base is important. I get it. But so is our base in Qatar. And do you think we should keep a base in Qatar? I don't think so. We got a base in UAE and Saudi and elsewhere. The Qatari base, I think maybe it's time has expired. And that's probably a topic for another podcast. Well, always great to be with all of you. I hope you're having a wonderful fall. And when in doubt, think for yourself. Don't let the establishment, political, academic, or religious establishment jam down what you think you should think about the issues of the day, especially when it comes to political Islam. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.